Well, it is December, and that is a busy time of the year, isn't it, with lots and lots and lots going on in many of our lives, and uh, some of you uh, uh, engaged fully in Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all of those uh, sort of things and are disgustingly almost done with all your preparations, right? Uh, Some of us are going to get started sometime uh, in the next uh, few weeks for sure, but wherever you're at, uh, I just just, uh, wanted to encourage you. In the midst of busyness, uh, good activities, fun activities, lots of stuff going on, uh, sometimes other things get pushed to the side. And particularly for followers of Jesus Christ, uh, I encourage you, engage fully, enjoy the parties and the festivities and the family and the funs and the food and all that. But there's also a component of how how do I prepare my heart spiritually for that celebration of of the first coming of Jesus Christ as a babe in Bethlehem, but also his coming again someday as King of kings and Lord of lords. And many throughout the history of the Christian church have have taken a season of Advent uh, leading up to uh, the the celebration of Christmas to just give a special focus uh, to Jesus Christ and the anticipation of his second coming, but also the celebration of his first coming. And we've provided a resource. It's out in the lobby. It's totally free to you. Just encourage you to go and pick one up. Uh, you may have other resources you're, you're going to use. That's great. This isn't the only one. But if it would be helpful to you, it's just some very, very short, uh, the kind of one-page, a quick uh, kind of a devotion thought, point you to a scripture, just might be a good tool for you to say, hey, as an individual, or as a couple, or maybe as a family, uh, that this would be something that maybe we could we could take and and just hone in a little bit to help keep. Uh, Jesus Christ before us in this season. So I wanted to, to, to really just mention that to you one more time as we kind of engage in this first Sunday of, of Advent. And as we do that, we know there's a lot going on in our world too, isn't there? I mean, we've just uh, kind of as a nation, we heard the news in just the past couple days of, of the death of a former president, uh, George H.W. Bush. And you, know, you think uh, everybody has a lot of opinions uh, about an individual, and sometimes uh, uh, we look a little differently at them uh, as they passed. But uh, one of the, his statements was that, that he, he, he longed for and saw a kinder, gentler nation. Uh, and I have thought about those words in the past couple days as I think about the rhetoric uh, that is so uh, inflamed and divisive in our culture and that, you know, maybe we could use uh, just a little bit of that, that kinder, gentler uh, discourse uh, along the way. I also want to ask you just to think about uh, the folks in Alaska Uh, Literally, their world has been shook with a a, a huge earthquake there. And we have one of our missionary families, the uh, the Botoloskis, who are there. Some of you have been on uh, some of the mission trips up there. I just saw earlier this morning uh, from James, he posted some information. Their their house uh, was shook and a lot of places, some roads out. uh, They lost power. They were actually melting snow uh, and purifying it to have some drinking water for a while, that sort of thing. But uh, from the report, it looks like they're all good, but just praying that maybe in the midst of this time when, when the earth uh, literally shook, that it might be an opportunity for the gospel 
of Jesus Christ to shine forth and to point uh, folks to the hope that we have that is unshakable, uh, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And would pray that might even happen uh, as the, the nation kind of remembers and walks through this process with President Bush's funeral and whatnot. And so to that end, I, I want to just begin before we jump into this uh, teaching series on God's perfect Christmas gift. I, I want us to just take a moment and just, just pray for this season that, that God uh, might uh, be exalted in the midst of it. So please join me in that, please. Father, we do thank you uh, for this season and all that it represents, uh, uh, the family, the friends, the fun, the gifts, the lights. Uh, Father, those uh, can distract us or they can point us to you, uh, the one who is the light of the world, the one who is the source of eternal life. Uh, the one who is uh, uh, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And Father, we just pray, Lord, for ourselves that as we enter into this very, very busy season, uh, Lord, that you would keep our hearts and our minds attuned to you. Lord, we pray in the midst of a season where there's lots happening in a lot of people's lives and world in our nation, uh, that folks might have an openness to you in this season. We pray even for uh, the Badalaskis and others there in Alaska, Father, that, that there might be an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth strongly, uh, even in the midst of a very disorienting time. Father, we pray even through the funeral process of, uh, of a president, uh, Father, that uh, just the awareness of our own mortality, uh, the awareness of, of something beyond uh, the grave uh, would create an openness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and pray, Lord, that even in the midst of that, you might give us opportunity to plant seeds or to water seeds or uh, to be there at harvest time. And Lord, we just, uh, just ask, even as we'll gather together in these weeks, uh, Lord, if you would give us these times, Lord, would you help us to, uh, to just be attuned to you? Uh, would you help us to prepare our hearts and to make you room? And we pray this together now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you uh, for joining me in that. I, I don't know about you, but Christmas is a, is a challenging time when it comes to gift giving for me. Because uh, it's kind of like, it, sometimes it's like, what do you give somebody that really has everything they need, right? Uh, I mean, uh, for, for a lot of us, we kind of have, you know, what we need, or if we really needed something, we go out and buy it. And if we don't have something that we'd really want, it's probably because it's like way too expensive or, or goofy to give or, or get or keep or whatever it might be. And so sometimes it can be, it can be a real challenge to try to find that, that, that just right gift. And if you are a, a, a parent of a child or some grandparent, uh, then you kind of enter into that whole world of what's the latest and greatest and hottest gift for your kid, right? And so I thought it might be fun as we start this series uh, together, uh, focusing on Christmas, to take a little walk down memory lane. So I just want us to kind of walk, actually going to walk all the way back to 1983. And if you were a parent or a grandparent shopping for that hot gift for a child in 1983, particularly if you were shopping for little girls, you would have been shopping for... Cabbage Patch Kids, absolutely, yeah. Created in 1978 by Xavier Roberts, uh, these soft sculpture dolls were all the rage in the 1980s. Due to a clever marketing campaign, the dolls were a virtual overnight success, 
raking in $600 million in sales in 1985. They flew off the shelves, and there wasn't like online shopping back in the day, right? So if you really were trying to get your hands on one of these, you might literally stand in line for hours to have a chance to get one of those Cabbage Patch Kids, all right? Just curiosity. Anybody here have a Cabbage Patch Kid? Yeah. Do you still have that Cabbage Patch Kid? Some of you, some of you do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And we actually moved from one house to another about a year ago, you know, you kind of discover things. And we actually uh, found uh, my daughter's Cabbage Patch uh, doll there and uh, gave that uh, to her there. So uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, Let's fast forward five years later, uh, 1988, I mean, what, 30 years ago? 1988, uh, how about this? Nintendo, all right, Nintendo. This was the 8-bit video game console. It was an astounding success when it hit the market. Seven million systems sold the year it was released. But here's the interesting thing. The market for the cartridges, because it's one thing to sell this. I mean, the money's in the cartridges, right? The money's in all the games you plug in there, right? The NES cartridges that year, 1988, the market for that was larger than the market for the entirety of all computer software. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? All right, Nintendo... Hey, folks. Okay, yeah, some of you old school Nintendo. All right, very good. I did this in the first service, and they were like... (laughs) <laughs> we laughed a lot because they didn't know what the heck I was talking about on any of these. All right. How about this one? Five years later, 1993, maybe not as familiar with this one, a talk boy. What made this the hit? Because it was in the movie Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Some of you may remember he recorded the bad guys, I think, with that, right? And it kind of became a surprise hit. And Hasbro was the, the maker of that, and, and they released it, and it became so popular during the holiday season that the company was eventually forced to pull all of its ads because it had run out of inventory. That's how quickly that thing sold. Okay, did Talkboy folks in here? Okay, there were a few of you. A few of you had the, the Talkboy. All right, very good. How about this one? Five years later. Okay, now some of you are like, yes, okay, all right. Furby, right? Furby, 1998, originally priced at $35. These electronic robotic toys were in such demand during the Christmas season that their resale value skyrocketed to upwards of $300. So if you invested in some $35 Uh, Furbies, you may have paid for your entire Christmas uh, by reselling uh, a few of those at $300 a piece. 27 million Furbies sold in 1998. Are you kidding me, right? All right, here we go. Some of you, some, some of you know this. How do you say it? Eugeo, 
It's a card game, right? Uh, in fact, it was an explosion in Japan uh, when it was first released in 1998. 3.5 billion cards were, were sold prior to the starter deck becoming available in 2002 in North America. The game caught on in the U.S. and it landed on many top toy lists for 2003. In 2009, the Guinness Book of World Records named it the top-selling trading card game of all time with over 22 billion cards sold worldwide, right? Okay, now this, I don't, how many of you have these cards somewhere? Nobody. I just one or two, maybe. Okay. Okay. So, wasn't a hot seller with this group, obviously, huh? Okay. My guess is this next one. Uh, 2003 might be in somebody's house, or 2008, excuse me. 2008, right? Nintendo Wii. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now we're getting some hands. Now we're, now we're in the sweet spot here, right? Nintendo was really on a roll in the late 2000s. The Wii was certainly proof of that. The gaming system sold 10 million units by the end of 2008, most of those during the holiday season. And then on the five years later, 2013, oh, but that's not tickle me, Elmo. That's actually hug, Big Hugs Elmo. Big Hugs Elmo. It was actually the follow-up toy to the uh, Tickle Me Elmo that had been a craze just a few years earlier. The Big Hugs Elmo was n- not quite as successful. It was still wildly successful and one of the best-selling toys of 2013. Which brings us to last year, 2017. And one of the top-selling toys was... And some of you go, what is that? Right? Anybody, does the sun, you know what these are? Fingerlings? Fingerlings. There you go. So, yeah, see? see? Here's my crew right here. Here's my crew. They, they know it. They know what's going on right here, right? Baby monkeys. They're robotic. They're interactive, collectible. Uh, they come alive. They respond to sound, to motion, uh, to touch. Uh, manufactured by a, a high-tech robotics entertainment company. They're part of a popular trend uh, of robotic pets, and they continue to fly off the shelf along with some others along the way. I don't know what's going to be the best-selling toy of this year, but it sounds like there's going to be lots of them sold, right? But here's the thing. As fun as those toys are, and we could have picked a lot of different ones from different eras, uh, they usually have a limited lifespan, don't they? And sometimes they end up in a back closet or an attic or in a yard sale (laughs) along the way. But there is a gift that is timeless, a gift that is for all people, for all seasons, for all time. It is God's perfect Christmas gift to you and I, Jesus Christ. And it was a gift that we can look back on. We look back on Bethlehem. We look back in the timeline on Calvary. But years and years and years before, people were looking forward They were looking forward in anticipation to the gift that God was going to send. 700 years before Jesus showed up, breaking through history in Bethlehem's stable, the prophet Isaiah longed for what was to come. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us... A son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What I want us to do in this Advent season in preparation for the celebration on Christmas Day, I want us to to just reflect on those four titles, four titles that are encapsulated there in those verses, and what those titles tell us about God's perfect Christmas gift to us in Jesus Christ. And the first title is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And the word wonderful actually can be translated beyond understanding. This counselor that we have is beyond our ability to fully understand or fully appreciate. And yet it is this counselor that God has given us as part of this this package, as part of this gift of Christmas. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look at five qualities, five qualities of this wonderful counselor. And I'm going to ask you to, to kind of be interactive with us along the way. So as we look at each one of these characteristics or qualities, we're going to pause for a question at the end of each quality. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds. 30 seconds, and we've provided you a little space in the note-taking guide. 30 seconds just to begin to kind of interact. Say, God, what, what would you say to me in answer to that question? The first quality of this wonderful counselor is that he will listen. <laughs> and isn't that a gift in today's world? That to have somebody that will genuinely listen to you, right? Uh, because we don't, we don't listen very well. In a, in, a, in a world where we all seem to have a little attention deficit, it's, it's hard to get us to listen. And even when we listen, sometimes we don't hear very well, right? I heard about a couple that had been married for a number of years, and, and the wife thought she would encourage her husband one evening. And so she kind of whispered to him. She said, I'm so proud of you. And he said, Huh? And she said, I'm so proud of you. And he looked back at her and he said, well, I'm getting kind of tired of you too, right? Sometimes we don't hear. We don't listen. And maybe there are times in our lives when we feel like God doesn't listen. But what the wonderful counselor reminds us is that we have a God in Christ Jesus who always listens. The psalmist said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God, and his perfect provision in Jesus Christ for my sin, but God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. What a privilege to be able to know that he will listen. He will listen. John, that beloved disciple, put it this way. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence. He said there's a confidence that we can have out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. (laughs) He hears you. As you go through the gospels, you see Jesus speaking, but you see him listening as he engages Nicodemus in a conversation at night. As he listens to the woman at the well 
that maybe nobody else listened to. And you go with the centurion or on and on and on and you see Jesus listening. He listens. And in his listening, he invites us to come to him with all of our stuff. Put it this way, Matthew 11. Come to me, Jesus said. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. We get weary. We get burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My guess is that for some of us as we're in this room, there's some weariness. There's some burdens we carry. There's a need for a rest. Not just a physical rest, but a deep soul, spiritual level rest. And so I want you to take 30 seconds and just write out some words, a phrase, a sentence or two in answer to this question. Where in my life do I need to pour out my heart and mind to God's listening ear? What is it that I just need to unload on the one who invites me to bring him my burden? 30 seconds. please just continue writing as you need to in response to that question as we look at the second quality of our wonderful counselor. And that is that he will understand. That he will understand your situation. (laughs) The psalmist said, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh, Lord, there is incredible power in being understood, in feeling understood, that I'm not just listened to, but the one who is listening actually understands. He understands me. He understands my circumstance and situation. Sometimes when we're talking to someone else, we say, you don't really understand, but we never have that problem. We can never with with integrity say that to our wonderful counselor because he fully understands understands. Hebrews says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There is nothing about your situation that he does not understand. In fact is, he understands it better than you understand it yourself. It's a lot of stories out there and we all perhaps have them personally of 
of misunderstanding and the problems that it can create. Remember one from Chuck Swindoll. He had an opportunity to speak at a conference. It was, it was several days, and he was one of the featured speakers. And, and he noticed early on in the conference there was a, a, a couple, and they were always there on the front row. And the wife was, was attuned in, and she was attentive, and she was taking notes and nodding head and following along, and you, you could see she was fully engaged. And, and he would kind of look at the, the husband every now and then, and he would be nodding off. And, and you know, he's thinking, as a speaker, you tend not to want to look at those folks too much. It kind of discourages you, you know. You're kind of looking for a few friendly faces there. And, and so uh, as the conference went on for a, few, uh, a couple days, the, the wife called him during one of the breaks and he's been around he's done this before and he knows what's coming right all right yeah typical she's going to come and she's going to share just the burden of her life that you know she's kind of spiritually ahead of her husband and she kind of had to drag him to this conference and it's causing tension in their marriage and you know, he was kind of playing out how the whole conversation was going to go. And he was blown away because the wife said, oh, listen, this has been such a delight. I just want you to know that you are my husband's favorite speaker. <laughs> he's like, oh, I can tell, right? I mean, yeah, this guy's like, oh, sleeping on the wrong side. See, my husband has a terminal illness. And he's listened to you for years. And God's just used you to speak into his life. And one of his desires was just to be able to hear you in person. And, and although it was a real challenge for us to get here, he wanted to be here. And the medication is pretty high capacity at this point. It causes him to sleep a lot. But he still wanted to be able to be here to hear you in person. Do you think Chuck's understanding of that person, that situation, totally transformed at that moment? You know it did. You know it did. See, there are things, even when I think I understand my situation, I don't understand. Particularly when my situation involves other people. Humility requires that I admit that there are things I do not fully understand. I need a wonderful counselor. I need someone that can help me to understand. And so again, 30 seconds around the question, where in my life, where in my life right now do I need God's perspective and understanding of my situation? 30 seconds. Again, you take all the time you need with that question before the Lord, but we're going to move on to that third quality of our wonderful counselor. And that is that he will always tell you the truth. He will tell you the truth. 
Jesus self-described himself with these words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And while he listened, while he understood, while, while he, he was gentle, uh, while he invited us to cast all of our cares upon him, he is one who in love was always going to communicate truth to us. To Peter, who was at that moment kind of boasting about everybody else will deny you, everybody else will desert you, but not me, Jesus. Jesus looked Peter square in the eye said, I tell you the truth, because <laughs> I always do. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He will always tell you the truth. Why is that important? It's important because we don't always know the truth, do we? <laughs> as much as we think we do, we don't. We, we have a perspective. We have a slice of the pie, but we don't know all the truth. And what's more, we don't always know that we don't know, right? And so we need, we need a wonderful counselor who will always tell us the truth. But here's the second challenge. We don't always know the truth, and the reality is we don't always want to know the truth, do we? Always oh, say we do, but sometimes not so much. I was reading of a, of a school teacher, middle-aged and thinking about future years and met a man that pitched kind of a, a wonderful business opportunity to her. So she took her savings, she entrusted them to this man who swindled her out of all of her money. Her investment disappeared. All of her dreams were shattered. And she finally went to the office of the Better Business Bureau thinking maybe there was something they could do. And as they began to talk, they informed her, oh yes, they had a file on this guy. And as she was kind of heartbroken leaving, person asked her, excuse me, ma'am, can I ask you, why didn't you reach out to us beforehand? Didn't you, did you not know we existed? She said, oh, I've known about you forever. I was just afraid if I asked you, you would tell me not to do it. See, sometimes we don't want to know the truth. The third reality is, whether we want to or not, we all need to build our life upon the truth. We all need to build our life upon the truth. The Proverbs says, the wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That, that a true friend, a, a wonderful counselor is going to tell us the truth even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful, even when it's challenging, even when it's not what we want to hear. Because he loves us enough to tell us the truth. And so the question around this quality is this. 
In what situation or circumstance do I need to hear truth from God, even if it's uncomfortable? What is that situation or circumstance for you? 30 seconds. Listen to the Lord. Write down what he says. Again, you spend all the time you need to with that question as we talk about the fourth quality of this wonderful counselor, that he has your best interest in mind, that he has your best interest in mind. When Jesus had that, that unfolding uh, ministry and, and people's understanding of that ministry as he, as he connected it with God's word, in Luke's gospel, we find this connection, the spirit of the Lord, Jesus, that is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. When we think about our wonderful counselor, we have to understand what it is he wants to do. He wants to bring good news to bear in our life. He wants to proclaim freedom. He wants to set us free from those things that might imprison us. He wants to give recovery in our life to those things that maybe we've lost sight of or become blinded to. He wants to release us from those things that oppress us and overwhelm us along the way. He has our best interest in mind. Saul, who would later become Paul, the apostle, this opposer, opponent of Jesus Christ, who became this hot-hearted follower of Jesus Christ and shared Christ into the Gentile world, came to understand that Jesus had his best interest in mind. To the Romans, he wrote it this way, what then? Shall we say in response to this, as he talked about all the things that God had done in Jesus Christ, if God is for us, who will be against us? And then the proof of that, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? <laughs> he became convinced. Let's, if God loved us enough, if Christ loved you enough, if God had your best interest in mind enough that he was willing to die for you, to send his son to die for you, is he going to withhold any good thing from you? No. He always operates with your best interest in mind. And why is this important to know? Came across a quote from Oswald Chambers, and it's been one of those I've been this kind of sitting with for a couple of weeks now. The root of all sin, Chambers wrote, is the suspicion that God is not good. Let me say that again. The root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. Why do Adam and Eve reach for a forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. When they've been given everything, 
Because somewhere there was a suspicion. There was a doubt. There was a wonder. Is God holding out on me? Is God keeping something good from me? When I struggle to obey the command of God, it is at its root, at least in part, because I am wondering. I'm wondering about, is he withholding something good from me? Questioning his wisdom, I'm questioning his intent, I'm questioning his love. Our wonderful counselor always has your best interest in mind. He proved it when Jesus Christ came as a babe and hung on the cross of Calvary. And so the question around this quality is this. How does the understanding that God has my best interest in mind impact the way I approach God and his commands for my life? If you think about this wonderful counselor who has your best interest in mind, how might that change or impact how you approach God and how you approach his commands for your life? 30 seconds to reflect and respond. As you continue to spend time with that, we'll move to this fifth and final quality we'll look at this morning. He will give you clear direction. The wonderful counselor will give you clear direction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has been a, a favorite for, for many through the years. Trust in the Lord with all your heart because he has your best interest in mind and lean not on your own understanding because you don't always understand and you don't know sometimes even what you don't know in all your ways acknowledge him in all your ways acknowledge his goodness acknowledge his wisdom and power and love and he he will make your paths straight he will give you clear direction. In Deuteronomy, we find these words. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. If that was true of, of Moses and the, the Hebrew people, how much more is that true of you and I? Emmanuel, God with us. He will go before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you understand that, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. A group of counselors was, was brought together and, and someone was interviewing them and said, I know people come to you for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of different presenting issues. But if you could kind of drill down below the, the variety of presenting issues, 
Are there some themes? I mean, what is it that people are looking for when they make an appointment with a counselor? And they, they kind of batted that question around for a while. And that group settled on the word hope. They said people are looking for hope. They're looking for hope in a situation that seems hopeless. They're looking for hope in, in an area where they haven't been able to get over the hump. They're looking for hope in the midst of, of, of a pain that seems to just dim every bit of hope that they have. They're looking for hope. And that hope is ultimately found not in the latest toy, but it's found in the greatest gift of all. Emmanuel, God with us, this wonderful counselor. Bill Frey wrote a book a number of years ago entitled The Dance of Hope. He tells of a blind student named John whom he tutored at the University of Colorado. And one day Bill asked John how he had become blind and and John told him the accident that happened during his teenage years. And this tragedy uh, took the boy's sight, but it not only took his sight, but it took his hope. He told Bill, I was bitter and angry with God for letting it happen. And I took my anger out on everyone around me. And I felt that since I had no future, I wouldn't lift a finger on my own behalf. Let others wait on me. I shut my bedroom door and refused to come out except for meals. Story kind of surprised Bill because who he saw standing before him there was not a person who was helpless or hopeless, but a person that in many ways had defied the odds. He displayed no bitterness and anger, and so he had to ask John, What happened? And John traced the change to a challenge from his father. The dad was tired of the pity party. And he was ready for his son to get on with his life. And he reminded the boy of the impending winter and told him to mount the storm windows. Some of you don't perhaps remember storm windows. He said, do the work before I get home or else. And he slammed the door on the way out. And John typically reacted with anger. He muttered and cursed all the way to the garage. He found the windows, the stepladder, the tools, and he went to work. And in his mind, he thought, they'll be sorry when I fall off my ladder and I break my neck. But he didn't fall. And little by little, he groped around the house, and he finished the chore. The assignment achieved the dad's goal. John reluctantly realized he could still work. And he began to reconstruct his life. But John said years later, he learned something else about that day. He learned something not about himself, but he learned something about his father. And as he was sharing these words with Bill, his eyes, though blind, missed it up. He said, what I learned that day years later was that at no time that whole day, had my father been more than a few feet away from me. My father had no intention of letting me fall. 
and neither does your heavenly Father. In the book of Jude, we read that he is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He doesn't want you to live with a fear of falling. He wants to be your wonderful counselor. He wants to bring into your life clear direction. He wants to stretch you and challenge you to be who he created you to be. And so as we take one last 30-second split, let's do it around this question. Where in my life do I need clear direction from God? Where in my life do I need clear direction from God? Take 30 seconds. Oh, Father, how we thank you that in Jesus Christ, you are our wonderful counselor. And Father, we praise you that as a part of that most perfect Christmas gift of all, you have provided us the one who will listen, the one who understands us, our circumstances, and our situation better than we understand ourselves. You have provided the one who always will tell us the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, but it's never unkind. Father, you as the wonderful counselor in Christ Jesus are, are the one who always, always, always has our best interest at heart. We rest in that as we look to you for clear direction. And so, Father, in these last few moments that we have gathered in this space, we invite you to be in our life personally who you already are in reality, our wonderful counselor. And, Father, this Christmas season, among all the gifts that we'll give and receive, may we open ourselves to receive you as the wonderful counselor. And I'm just going to ask you just to be still before him in these last few moments together.